0: We are going to, we're continuing Church to find. Um, I think this is going to be second to last week unless, I, unless something occurs to me between now and then, um, whereas next week we're going to talk about some of the processes and things we, we, we do here that uh, are a direct res- result of the things that we found in this series, but um, last week we talked about what it means to be Baptist and what has always made up and what is consistent across all Baptists. I mean, there, there's, there's, Tons of Baptist churches out there. There's Northern Baptist. There's you know Southern Baptist. Obviously, there's you know Independent Baptist. There's all missionary Baptist. There are all kinds of Baptists out there, but there are some uh, commonalities amongst all of them makes them Baptist specifically, and um, and so uh, some of those things that we covered were uh, that Baptists hold closely to the Lordship salvation of Jesus Christ. They hold regenerate church membership, meaning that each member of the church uh, has to be a uh, professed believer. They have to be regenerate. They have to demonstrate fruit that the Spirit produces in the lives of believers. That, that's what they need to do in order to even join the church. As a result of that, there is a, we believe in believer's baptism, as opposed to paedo-baptism, baptism of infants, we don't accept that as actual baptism. We believe in believer's baptism, meaning that, or, or sometimes it's called creedal baptism, but it's baptism that follows the profession of faith and the demonstration of fruit in the life of a believer. Uh, Christ-centered congregationalism is consistent across Baptist churches, meaning that we believe because every person in the, in, that's a member of the church, we believe to be regenerate, truly Christians, and, and born again then, then the Spirit is working through all of us together to move the way that the Spirit would have us go in in the right direction, following after His Word. We believe in local church autonomy, meaning that churches are autonomous. They make their own decisions. They are separate from the congregations down the road. So, even though a church down the road might be called Southern Baptist or might be called Baptist, we are distinct from them and we are permitted in accordance with Scripture to follow what we feel like where the Lord is directing us through His Word, Um, completely independent of another church, and knowing that the Lord might direct them in a slightly different way. We might have a ministry to children in a public school, and they might have ministry to adults in nursing homes, or whatever, and all of those things we can do. Um, We might feel like no debt, and and we don't want to build buildings, and somebody else might feel like they want to take on debt and build buildings, and both churches can come to those conclusions and have the autonomy to do so. Also, the liberty of conscience for all people. We believe this is a gospel issue, that we want people under, under no threat of coercion from the government to be able to respond to the gospel as it is preached. Uh, so we don't want them to be persuaded towards, towards Christianity or towards another religion. Uh, so we want the liberty of conscience for all people and the freedom of religion. Baptists have always held to that. So those things make up what it means to be Baptist. But then, what does it mean to actually be Southern Baptist? And what is a Southern Baptist church? When we say a Southern Baptist church, what what really is that? And, And I have found, no matter how many times I sit down and talk with people in Southern Baptist churches and explain to them how Southern Baptist churches actually work and what they are and what it actually means to be Southern Baptist, put that moniker on your name, most people don't know how it works and don't understand and especially if you listen to the news. If you, oh my goodness, if you, just wait until June, all right, just pay close attention to Baptist news coming out of the convention in June, you will hear the news media assume that Southern Baptist churches work just like the Catholic Church. Well, the Southern Baptist Convention has determined this, and therefore, all your Southern Baptist churches, this is how they operate, and it's It's not true. But no matter how many times we talk about it, you'll find tons of people that are in Southern Baptist churches, members of Southern Baptist churches, even give to Southern Baptist churches that have no idea how Southern Baptist churches actually function. And so let's talk about that for just a minute. So first, let's first outline just a brief history of the Southern Baptist Convention so that at least we can talk about its formation and at least it'll give us clues as to why maybe you see some of the things you do now. Um, The Southern Baptist Convention formed after splitting from the American Baptist Home Mission Society over the issue of whether or not slaveholders could serve as missionaries. All right, now, this isn't pretty, all right? I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for this or saying that this is the way it should have been. This isn't necessarily pretty, but it'll help, I think, under explain some things um, that you frequently see. So there's a question as to whether or not Uh, across the uh, American Baptist Home Mission Society so whether or not people who owned slaves could be appointed as missionaries, home or abroad, whether they could go and and actually serve as a missionary and be be funded by the convention itself, whether the convention would authorize that and and send them out. And for the longest time, the American Baptist Home Mission Society uh, didn't want to make a decision on that and wanted to rather to kind of democratize it and just go you to you and sort of back up from it and not really make a decision. And so in 1844, some of the states in the south really wanted them to pick a side and wanted to sort of force their hand in one way or another. So in 1844, Georgia Baptists nominated a slave owner for appointment as a home missionary through ABHMS and sent his letter on to the American Baptist Home Mission Society. And so the way that the Home Mission Society sought to resolve the issue was just to tell them it got lost in the mail. (laughs) Not really, but like that's basically what they did. They were like, we just won't see the letter. And so they moved it to the bottom of the stack, and they just kind of wanted to kick the can down the road and just sort of ignore the letter altogether and refuse to receive the application. So this obviously wasn't good enough for a lot of the states in the South, because obviously this is, this is some years just before the Civil War, and so a lot of the states in the South were made up of um, people who owned slaves and things like that, and those, they were obviously in churches and things. And so uh, seeking to kind of force again the hand of the American Baptist Home Mission Society, Alabama Baptists, Uh, sent a letter demanding that the board, at its triennial convention, um, directly address the matter. And so what they told them is, we're going to withhold funds until you make a decision, which is, you know, money talks, right? It's always the way to sort of force the hand. And so they decided we're going to um, withhold funds until you make a decision on whether or not Slave owners can be appointed as missionaries. And so the board had really no choice, and so they responded, if anyone should offer himself as a missionary, having slaves, and should insist on retaining them as his property, we could not appoint them as missionaries. So, um, this is the catalyst that led to the southern states departing from the American Baptist Home Mission Society. And they formed, on May 8, 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, which was formed with 4,126 churches and 351,951 members. So, uh, this is what we would call a, a dark stain in Southern Baptist history. Um, So, that wasn't the only issue, though. That was the central issue. That was the thing that really forced the split. That was the main dividing issue, but it wasn't the only issue. When they split, the resulting Southern Baptist Convention wanted a way of Uh, Of kind of rectifying some of the things that they didn't like about the American Baptist Home Mission Society. And one of those was a way of directing the energies of the whole denomination toward what they called one sacred effort for the propagation of the gospel. And that was also an important thing, so that blink is one sacred effort. Um, And you'll see frequently, if you look at Southern Baptist literature especially around the cooperative program, you will see the cooperative program branded as one sacred effort. That is kind of the way that they saw of directing the energy of the whole convention toward uh, a a missional movement. And that was what they essentially wanted to do in forming the convention is find a way to direct. Now, the, the cooperative program doesn't come along until a little bit later, but the point is that it's kind of the culmination of what they wanted to do. Um, so I, I say all that because you, first of all, you'll hear quite a bit of discussion coming out of the, especially coming out of the convention. The the Southern Baptist Convention is held every year in June, and usually it's like second or third week of June, I think it's second week of June, and, um, you'll hear a lot of stuff coming out of the convention about race. It's frequently, you'll hear things coming out of the convention about race. But part of the reason for that is the way the Southern Baptist Convention came about to begin with. And obviously a lot of that has to do with the current social climate that we live in right now and issues that are kind of circulating and things like that. But you'll frequently hear how the Southern Baptist Convention, what the Southern Baptist Convention said about uh, African Americans or what they said about uh, racism or what they said about this or that or other. And it's all related to that, that central issue. And this is part of the reason why. Um, but it also kind of clues us in to another thing that's, that's going on, which is this one sacred effort that they sought to, to uh, formulate here. So then the question is, for a lot of people, is how does the Southern Baptist Convention actually work? And you might be surprised to know that technically the Southern Baptist Convention exists only two days out of the year. I've said that in here before, so some of you may be prepared for that and have heard that before, but how many of you knew that before that the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, actually only exists two days out of the year? Couple, couple of you, few of you. Okay, some of you no, say they absolutely they not. You the you well, right. So they're trying to change the mindset so that it does exist on uh, So I would I say. I would say that's not what they're trying to do, but, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) well, perception is reality, right? Uh, So uh, I don't think that's what they're trying to do necessarily, but uh, essentially the Southern Baptist Convention exists only at that annual meeting, in bylaw and everything else, and you will hear them say this, this is the reason I think they're not trying to do that, is you will hear them say this routinely. At the convention, it we only exists two days out of the year. Once the convention ceases, once that gavel pounds at the end of the second day, the Southern Baptist Convention (laughs) ceases to exist legally. All right. So you're thinking? Ah, hold on, just a second. Hold on, just you, you. There's one in every crowd. so the, the Southern Baptist Convention ceases to exist. It just it disappears altogether. So it, doesn't it make you think, like, how is this organization, what is this that we're part of? Um, so it exists only two days out of the year, and the, sole, the purpose of its existence, the sole purpose of it existing for those two days is so that. Uh, is for the purpose of directing a collective fund known as the Cooperative Program. Okay. The Cooperative Program, all it is, is a big bank account of funds that are held, I guess you would say in escrow, is that the way you say it? I'm not a financial person, but I I think that's right. That are held together from all of its churches, okay? This is why we refer to the churches that make up the Southern Baptist Convention as cooperating churches. That's the second blank there. So that makes the SBC a little bit different than a denomination. That's not how, let's say for instance, the Presbyterian Church USA works. The PCUSA does not work like that. The PCUSA has some governing authority over the individual churches. In fact, they own the property. They're a denomination as a whole. You, the churches belong to it. And that is not really the case with the SBC. In the SBC, the churches are basically with a ha- sort of a kind of a handshake agreement agreeing to cooperate together. And for you putting in a dollar and for me putting in a dollar, Um, or, or this church putting in a dollar and this church putting in a dollar, they come together and they both get a voice at the table because that fund is a collective fund. Does that make sense? So far, you tracking with me? All right. So during the convention, this next one, during the convention, messengers from cooperating churches come together to give their voice and vote to entity heads, budgets, and agendas for the organizations funded by the cooperative program. So uh, your contribution, the church's contribution, to a general fund called the cooperative program to be dispersed at, as the churches have determined on the budget. The church, so the churches get together, we, voice, we express voice and vote on what we want that budget to look like for these particular entities. And the way we want the the funds to be directed, and uh, then throughout the year those entities operate in accordance with the budget that has been determined by the churches. This is our money, we're giving it to you, we're establishing these organizations, we want them to function this way, and the organizations go, yes sir, and then they go function that way. Make sense so far? Good. So as a result, Southern Baptists, as as they've come together, have sought to establish some of these entities. And so an entity of the SBC is simply an organization that is mostly, uh, most of the time, funded by the cooperative program, or they are specifically tasked with serving members of the SBC that answer to the SBC churches. So an entity basically answers to the churches, okay? Most of them are funded directly by the cooperative program. And the way I think about this is there are entities that are funded by the cooperative program and their their mission is outward, outward outward-facing. There are entities that are not funded by the cooperative program whose mission is inward-facing, okay? Only three entities in the SBC are not funded by the cooperative program, okay? LifeWay. Christian resources. Main reason, they're profit-driven and their ministry is inward. We established them to provide us books and sell them to us so that we might buy them, okay? Basically. Um, the Women's Missionary Union is a, considered an auxiliary. You've ever, you, did you grow up hearing it, women's auxiliary? Because it exists auxiliary to the convention. It's not funded by the cooperative program. Their agenda is to provide resources back to the churches. Um, And one other, oh yeah, Guidestone, uh, Guidestone, what is it called? Guidestone Financial Resources. And their job is to invest the money of people inside the churches or provide health care for pastors in the churches, things like that. Most of their ministry is to pastors and staff and things like that. Uh, and most of it is financial or health-related uh, back to the church. So they, they exist to come back this way, but the rest of the entities um, face out and are funded directly by the cooperative program. What's that? I'm getting to them. I'm getting to them. They're listed. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. We'll get there. Um, okay, so now Charlie brings up a point. Well, there's 363 other days in the year, where there's got to be work done, um, where some other th- uh, of other, other this stuff can can get done, and so throughout the other 363 days in the year, the SBC conducts its ongoing responsibilities through 11 ministry entities, one au- and one auxiliary called the Women's Missionary Union, and one executive committee. Um, so, the executive committee's job. So this th- this is a really sort of a complex... How many of you have heard of the executive committee? Particularly recently? <laughs> Alright. Uh, so, the executive committee's job is to be, first of all, made up of members of the churches. And that, that's not totally different than all the others, but but they're made up of members of the churches. So when you hear the executive committee, don't think a bunch of men in white robes walking into a room and whatever. This is like Susie Member at you know, Sheboygan Baptist Church in Wisconsin or something, right? Like, I mean, th- these, they're just, av- mo- most of them are pastors, but not all of them are. Um, some of them are just a member of the church, been a member for a long time, right? Uh, and there's 70-some mem- members of the executive committee. And basically, the executive committee's task is throughout the year to operate at the behest Of the convention itself, of the collection of churches. They're to execute the will of the churches, and they have a fiduciary responsibility back to the churches. So in other words, they are to operate in accordance with the mission that the churches have put them on, right? And the executive committee, the relationship between the executive committee and the convention is really the executive committee is supposed to be an arm of the collection of churches itself, right? We can't be there 363 other days out of the year, and so we want you to operate this way. Now, (laughs) I have a feeling, (laughs) Charlie, what you're getting to is some issues that have come up. Yes, go ahead. Like yes, committee. I do know what you what you're saying. The committee's huge. I I I don't remember how many's on it, but I, I mean it's like seventy something people. And yeah, that's a big committee Or a committee, you know. Um, and, they, and so they it's they, a big they, convention. Go ahead. They have yeah, and, and they have changed staff who work for the committee. And so, how many times a year does the committee do? Three times a year. I don't know. I mean, they're not the IMB. They're not support missionaries. They're not North American Mission. I don't know what those people. Other than over time, at a certain point, it's getting to be like, really, are we really Baptists? Okay. So, really Baptists. Most of what you said is not true, but some of it, (laughs) some of it is true. Uh, <laughs> so, let me, just let me take it a step at a time. All right. Um, so the executive committee, as I said, has a fiduciary responsibility to and acts for the convention at interim. So in between the meetings, they act at interim for the convention in all matters not otherwise provided for in a manner that encourages the cooperation and confidence of the churches, the associations, and the state conventions, and facilitates maximum support for worldwide missions and ministries. Okay. Big, long definition for what the executive committee is. Um, Now, what Charlie points to is the executive committee meets, I think it's three times a year, um, and then there are some paid staff, few paid staff amongst the executive committee. Um, those paid staff carry out the results of the executive committee meetings those three times a year. So it's not that they're just doing willy-nilly whatever they want to. It's that they are carrying out what is determined at those meetings, which is the carrying out of what's determined at the annual meeting. Okay, here's here's the way this kind of shook down, and you can see the way it kind of operates a little bit, at least based on what happened last year. We went to Nashville, and there came to light, going into the meeting, that, uh, well, several things, but one big thing was that some members of the executive committee had apparently met with uh, some individuals that were members of churches that had been abused in one way or another by some specific churches. And... um, they, they were seeking kind of almost like a grievance with the executive committee to kind of got to go, um, you know, this happened to us in the churches. What, what the Southern Baptists have put in place is something called a, a, a credentials committee. So the churches are coming together, and everybody's got to say in how this fund operates, right? How, how, this, how the funds are, are directed and where they're directed. And so there's no it's not a top-down denomination it's a bottom-up denomination the churches are telling the entities that we established what how we want how we want it to go and yes to your point we are entrusting them with some level of responsibility to carry those things out but then you come to situations where there are people sitting at the table who have contributed to that fund that you kind of get a little uneasy with their cooperation with you as an example A church that comes to the table that uh, might have a a pastor who is in a same-sex relationship or has married a same-sex couple and their church is fine with it. Or um, maybe is covering up abuse in their church and they have a pattern of it and they're, they're covering up, let's say. The credentials committee is something we establish to go to those churches and investigate what's going on and essentially what happens is if it's determined that what they're doing is, in, is, is uh, out of bounds, let's say, then all they do is remove their vote and voice from the table. They can call themselves Southern Baptist churches if they want to. They can say we're a Southern Baptist church. They can put on their sign out front we're a Southern Baptist church. They can say we're in cooperation with Southern Baptist church. But the Southern Baptist Convention stops taking their money and removes their vote. So they can't say how the funds are directed. Do you see how, how it's operating? That no. I, I think it's its own thing. Yeah. Yes. I, don't hold me to that. I believe that's right. Um, so the executive committee was uh, basically accused of hearing these complaints and then trying to kind of sweep them under the rug. And they were also further accused by some of these victims of abuse, alleged victims of abuse, that, um, that they had done so in collaboration with their legal team, with the, the law firm that was advising them. And so the convention, the, it was kind of a big thing going into the convention. Like, this is what the, uh, the executive committee is uh, accused of. So at the executive committee meeting, it was packed, which the executive committee meeting, that, that w- three times a year, whatever it is, meeting, um, happens in public, like you can go to it. And most of the time it's in Nashville, but the time that happened, the one time in the year, the middle one in the year, happens right before the convention. And so it's in the city wherever the convention is. And so that room was packed to the gills with all these people representing churches wanting to hear what's going on. And there were lots of resolutions and, and different uh, motions that were made from members of the executive committee of what we should do to, for the utmost of transparency and all this kind of stuff. And so the executive committee authorized an investigation of themselves. And they picked the people that would be investigating them. And they said, this is what we'll do because we know the churches want this and we're acting with a fiduciary responsibility of the churches. So we'll, we'll investigate ourselves and, and we'll choose this group of people over here to investigate ourselves. And the churches went, nah, <laughs> Like a unanimous 46,000 churches. How many were represented there said, no, that's not how it's going to work, in fact. And I, I want to say, I don't remember the exact number of people that were in the room. I want to say it was like maybe 11,000 or so messengers that were there in the convention hall. And it was, I mean, I, don't, I wasn't standing on stage, so I couldn't say it, but like from the floor it was pretty much everybody was saying, no, that's not how it's going to work. Uh, how we, what we want done is for an independent committee to be appointed by the president, which is, he works with the executive committee, but he's separate from the executive committee. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's, normally, he's a pastor of the church, and uh, he's going to appoint a special team of investigators, basically, to, to investigate all that happened. One other step they went to, which is really unheard of, and personally, I, I kind of see both sides on this, is that the members of the executive committee and the legal team had to give up their right to attorney-client privilege. And they did it. That was what the churches had said, we want to be done, and they did it. It caused the legal team for the executive committee to step down and quit and cause them to have to hire a new legal team, which has its own problems, and believe me, uh, and that's going around in the news right now, too. So, um, again, this doesn't get us all out of the woods and get, you know, remove us all from the heat and all that kind of stuff at all, but as an example of the executive committee having to listen to what the churches are saying and the way that they vote, I think that was demonstrated at this past convention. We don't get it all right. And of course, and when we go there, there's things that we say and things that we do and vote on and things like that that make no sense. And I mean, we were founded as kind of wanting to send slaveholders as missionaries, which is a stain on our existence even, right? I get that. And so we don't always get it right. And this isn't always just the best model because it's the way we do it. But the point is that you as a Southern Baptist are really first and foremost a Baptist, Right, And then as a subset of that, you are a part of a, su- a, chur- a church that is in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. And that's more or less how we, we operate. Now, there are 11 ministry entities that we've established um, so that include, and I'll kind of briefly go through these, the Ethics and Religious Liberty com- uh, Commission, the e- or the ERLC as we often call it, Guidestone Financial Resources, which we talked about, the International Mission Board, Lifeway Christian Resources, which we talked about, the North American Mission Board, the six seminaries, Gateway, Midwestern, New Orleans, Southeastern, South, Southern, and Southwestern. Um, these 11 uh, ministry entities, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is twofold. One, to, to help churches, uh, kind of like what Timothy had started off talking about, so the Roe v. Wade issue, right? Like an abortion, how we, you know, think about how we minister to women who are, pregnant perhaps, or how we legislatively push these particular things. They're helping the churches understand the laws that are made and how they need to operate within them or how they need to push against them or whatever, and then also taking the concerns of Southern Baptists to the halls of Congress and saying, this is what the Southern Baptist churches are really saying. So you do this, and 47,000 churches are going to be kind of pretty angry with, you know, whatever. Um, so, the ERLC kind of forms that, that function. The International Mission Board fully funds all 3,500 missionaries that are out on the field. So, their full salaries are funded and paid for by the cooperative program. That's mostly what the cooperative program goes for. Um, the North American Mission Board is basically a church, uh, facilitating church planting between churches and the people that they send. Um, and then, obviously, the six seminaries train and equip minis- ministers—you uh, know what seminaries do— um, and so those are also those are also funded in part by cooperative program, also tuition dollars, but what the funding of the cooperative program does for those people going into seminaries, if they're going—they're members of a Southern Baptist church, and they're going to a Southern Baptist seminary, they get in a steep discount just to go, and that's part of what the cooperative program does. Is it offsets their tuition costs. Um, so those are the 11. Then, in addition to that, every year we come together and we vote for a president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And the president has a one-year term and can serve at most two years in a row. All right? So then he has to, has to sit down. Um, so the president's role, and the reason it's important, is in addition to chairing the annual meeting, he gets up there and leads a two-day annual meeting, the president of the convention also appoints two people from a given state, any, uh, all the states that are represented, uh, from the states or territories to serve as members of the Committee on Committees. And then the Committee on Committees will nominate two people from each state or territory to serve the Committee on Nominations. Um, and all of that is approved by the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, you may look at that and you go like, oh my word, that sounds like the most awful Ba- you think our church member meetings are hard? Go to a Southern Baptist, and to some extent, you'd be right. Uh, it's it's a big it's a big Baptist meeting. Okay, the stakes at, for the president are actually pretty high. That you may have heard of the conservative resurgence, which was the Southern Baptist Convention went through a period uh, of ser- has been through several periods, but one period where it was leaning very liberal or very progressive. Doubting the inerrancy of Scripture. No, no, teaching against the inerrancy of Scripture in a lot of our seminaries, all of our seminaries, actually, and um, Southern being the worst, right? And so the way that that was fought against was that people who actually believed the Bible started to come to the convention and vote for the president of the convention. Once they got the president in place, he started appointing, who does he appoint? Well, if you're a liberal, then you got all your friends are liberals, and they all don't believe in the Bible. Well, so they started appointing uh, people who believe the Bible, and so all their friends believe the Bible too. They appoint them and just started working down through the committees. Eventually, all the boards on all the seminaries began to change with people that believe the Bible, and then they started putting in presidents of those seminaries who believed in the Bible, first of which was Al and at Southern. He was president of Southern Seminary in the, in the early 80s when he was... 33 years old, and all of his professors, like almost 100% of his professors did not believe in the inerrancy of scripture, didn't believe in the authority of the Bible, didn't believe next to nothing about Christianity, and in any way were they Christian. And he came in and just fired them all <laughs> over the course of just a few years. And replace them with Bible-believing professors and preachers. Until today, it's one of the more conservative of the of the seminaries that are out there. So um, that was how that conservative resurgence happened: was the appointment of the president. The reason that I go every year, and the reason that I see it as an important meeting to be at, is precisely for that president to be put in place so that they can appoint people that are will maintain some sort of conservative. Um, conservative Christian, uh, <laughs> you know, principles in as we direct these funds and as we you know enact the way these these funds are spent. Um, so the president does does that, and it's important. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Oh man, that is a big question. How, how could they be there uh, if they don't believe in the Bible? Um, so, do you ever hear people who would say to you that they're Jewish, but they don't believe the Bible? Uh, right? I mean, you've seen these? Like, 99% of the Jewish world is liberal, as liberal gets. I mean, don't believe in the authority of Scripture. Don't, may not even believe in God. But they would still call themselves Jewish. Same for Catholics. I mean, you know, people that would call themselves Catholic. Um, Baptist for a season became an identity, and I think maybe even to some extent still it is. But but it became an identity, and they were part of that identity, even if it was disassociated from its original intentions. That it has nothing to do with that. And so you see, you find that as as pretty common amongst. Uh, really any group that stops reading the Bible and stops teaching the Bible. You, you'll be that way too if the Bible stops being taught and the Bible stops being read and, it, and it's a slow process of us not paying much attention to it or giving little credence to it. Over time, you'll start to doubt some of the things that are in Scripture too. Uh, the generation that Moses took out of Egypt saw the Red Sea parted in front of them, got on the other side of the river, saw it collapse on top of Pharaoh, saw a cloud take them into the wilderness, saw the cloud go with Moses up on top of the mountain, so much so that we don't want to go up there, and within 40 days, they had already built a golden calf. Right? So, I mean, it doesn't take much. Right? It, it, it doesn't take much to encourage our hearts toward disbelief, and so in the same way, over just a period of a few years of just ignorance, appeal to big scholarly, you know, scholars in the seminaries and universities and things like that, and, and, you know, taking the Bible and going, maybe this happened with this fish that swallowed this man. I don't know if I really want to believe that. I want to believe this, and over the course of time, just a few of those things turn into bigger things, and all of a sudden, you got professors that don't believe the Bible anymore. They don't believe what it's actually saying. So, um, so then the question is, why are we Southern Baptists? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, Emmanuel Baptist Church. So, first thing you have to understand: Emmanuel Baptist Church and any Southern Baptist church is an autonomous congregation who is considered to be in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention because of our undesignated contribution to the cooperative program. So first, remember that. That if at any point we as a church just decided, nope, we're not having any of this. It's too far beyond changing. It's beyond our control or whatever. And we don't feel like any, we think it's this is going the wrong way. Stop giving to the fund and you're out. Right? So it's Frequently referred to as a, a rope of sand with the strength of steel. So y- you can hit it, but it kind of it kinda dissipates really quickly. But if you want to move in a certain direction, like sending 3,597 missionaries fully funded out to the world, you can do that. So it's it's a rope of sand, but it has the strength to push out a lot of a lot of things. So the reason we remain in friendly cooperation is mainly because of the 3597 IMB field personnel the 25530 students at SBC seminaries and the financial assistance provided to 1870 retired ministers and their spouses or widows through GuideStone's Mission Dignity they made $10,000 a year for being a pastor in deep east texas or wherever and you know and now they've retired they put away they put away a third of their income you know, in the stock market which was, you know, $3,300 a year or whatever it was, they lived on the rest of it because that's what they were told to do and then the retirement for them and all their medical bills and all that kind of stuff is $50,000, you know, by the time they're, they're done. And so Mission Dignity, part of what Guidestone does and part of their use of the cooperative program is to fund. Mission dignity, which helps them with their medical costs and all those kinds of things, for so these ministers that minister for 40 years in p- churches that just they didn't make enough to really even retire on, but now they're they're either sick or they're you know older and can't can't get along, and so um, that's what mission dignity does. So th- this is part of the reason. Like I've had, I've been approached sever- by several of you, and, and it's fine. I, I I'm used to hearing feedback from the convention, and believe it or not. I am not just an ardent Southern Baptist, but I think somebody's got to back them here, and so I'm going to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, people have come all the time, and they're, they're like, you know, why, why do we even cooperate? Why do we even, why do we even do this? The headaches that come out of the convention sometimes, I'm just going to be honest with you, you get 10,000 Baptists in a room, and sometimes the ideas that we can come up with are just the dumbest things in the world. And, and more often than not, When you're in the room, the idea sounded pretty good. And then you hear the way it's phrased, and then the way that phrasing is then taken and run with out in in the news media, and you're like, oh my goodness, we really stepped on the rake, right? So why do we put up with all of that? And the reason is because the 3,597 missionaries that were not in that room, but that were overseas sharing the gospel and planting churches in, you know, Romania or something, they, they, they didn't craft that language. We made a promise by being part, by sending them and being a part of the Southern Baptist Convention that we would support them. And so that's the reason. Now, there comes a time, sure, where, where we go, well, it's, we're, we're in too deep at this point. We, there's no recovery. And so at that point, yeah, that may be a conversation to have. I think until that day comes, though, there's a a whole mess of people out there that really do need support, and we've sent them overseas, them and their families, promising some support. And so I think we should we should give it to them. And so I go to the convention every year. Um, obviously, could go to a, maybe another conference or something like that. And I go instead to fight with a bunch of Baptists. Um, I kind of enjoy it. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but but um. But I I go really because of that, because I I want to make sure that at least the person, as much as I know and as best as I can vote, the people that we put in positions of authority or the people that are the things that we vote for, that that they're in accordance with what I think our churches, where our churches should be. And so uh, I think as long as we have that, we continue to contribute in that way, then we should have a voice at the table. Questions? Go ahead, Timothy. Well, by definition, the convention is a political process. Um, Politics is not always bad. Politics can be bad, and it can be abused, for sure. And it can be manipulated by people in positions of authority. But it's not a church service. We're actually coming there to direct funds, which is essentially what the halls of Congress are doing. Um, And you'll see that the convention actually operates a lot like a congressional meeting, essentially, because that's essentially what it is. They operate by Robert's Rules of Order, just like the U.S. Congress does, and things like that. And I know Senate, U.S. Congress, things like that have a bad reputation in our country, and for people that don't do much and whatever, I get all that, and I, I really do. But it, it's not inherently bad, in and of itself. It's the way business is conducted. And so um, it is a political process, to some degree, and um, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But keep in mind, Satan's in the political process. All right? All you have to do is go to the U.S. Congress and see. Satan is there fighting for his agenda. All right? Yeah, yeah. And has been for 200 and some years now. Almost 300. The same is true in the Southern Baptist Convention. Satan's there, too, at the meeting. And he's fighting for his agenda. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to go there and argue for our perspective as well. And so so to some degree, it is a political process. But I I want to, as best I can, with as little wisdom as the Lord has given me, to fight for the agenda that I think God is doing in this world through our churches. And as much as I can say this fund needs to be directed to those ends, I'm going to make sure I do that. So... No, 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 no. You're assuming that the fleshly weapon is not utilized by spiritual entities, and that is the reality, that we're there, and our fight is not against flesh and blood. I'm not voting against the guy sitting next to me. I'm voting against a, a weapon potentially used, not necessarily is his just because his opinion is different than mine. <laughs> is he a tool of Satan? I get that, but the point is, a person next to me, let's say, is voting, f- voting against, including the inerrancy of Scripture in the next Baptist faith and message, you better believe I'm going to be voting against that, right? That it should be included. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's not as simple as saying, well, I don't participate in anything physical because our fight is against flesh and blood. The, the physical tools are utilized by the spiritual enemies for sure. And we've got to be there. I mean, fighting... yes yes that is the reason why the alternative name was approved in uh, i want to say 2012 called great commission baptists and that is a legal name for the southern baptist convention is great commission great commission baptist convention maybe something like that and uh and that was for like your church in maryland who is like we're not in the south and we're a southern baptist cooperating church and, uh, and also, when we say Southern Baptist Convention in Maryland, people go, you're for slaves, you know, and kind of separate themselves from us. And so we kind of would like an, another way of, of representing who we are. And so the... could be called a Great Commission Baptist Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it, sure, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you're an autonomous church. Call yourself, you know... Ketter Cheese Baptist Church for all all we care. It doesn't matter. You know? Yes. Yeah. 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 But it's a legal name, Great Commission Baptist. Great Commission Baptist. Well, it's it's basically an either-or name. They haven't absolved the Southern Baptist Convention. It's more popularly known as Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, but last, year, last year's theme, I think it was, was We Are Great Commission Baptists. So it, 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 it's been out there as We Are Great Commission Baptists. That's what we are. And you have, other, you have Southern Baptist uh, cooperating churches that are in other countries too that, that call themselves Great Commission Baptists because their Southern Baptist church doesn't make any sense, you know. Do I, no. Microphone. So here, I'll I'll answer your question. So de- you simple simple time? yes, Roberts rules of order. Yeah. What you will see at the Southern Baptist yeah. Convention is very similar to how our member meetings function. Whenever we have to vote on something, we say we we first approve an agenda. That keeps the agenda from just going crazy, right? So you approve an agenda. If anybody's got something to add, add it right at the beginning. Let us know what it is. Tell us what it is and argue oh, for it. No, no, no. Because you only allow certain you only allot certain time. So you say this is what this is how much time there is to argue. And you have to ask for an extension. There's eleven thousand people. There's nine microphones, right? So they got a line a mile long at microphone ten and they're like, Five minutes is up, guys. That's it. Oh. So the agenda is approved. Right then you just work your way down the agenda with certain time limits allotted to each, each thing. Then, also, out of 11,000 people, only about five of them know how Robert's Rules of Order actually function. <laughs> All right? So that's, a, that's, another, that's another thing. So they get up there and they're like, I'd like to make a motion that everybody paints their building blue. And they're like, this isn't the time for motions, and that's not how that even works. Uh, and we don't have the authority to do that to anybody, so you can't even make a motion for that end. Um so so there's there's quite a bit of that right um but on the whole there are certain windows of time available for you to do certain things and to be honest it can get a little hairy sometimes people moving around sometimes people can get downright mad at the way the situation worked they ran out of time and they didn't get to say their piece or whatever and they throw their clipboard down and yell at the person who's just operating a microphone and (laughs) act as unchristian as they possibly can uh, in front of God and everybody. And that happens, you know. But honestly, it's Robert's Rules of Order. When we had a, I remember we had a conversation in here about money that would be used to, or or, uh, a proposal that was to buy a portion of our property. We had a conversation. The conversation could have had the opportunity to get (coughs) with tons of opinions. We operated it, I basically tried to turn down the screws of Robert's Rules of Order as tight as we possibly could. Here's the proposal, here's those four. here's those against, here's those four. here's those against. The best argument won the day, and it was very clear who that argument was. That's essentially how it operated. And, and more often than not, that's the best way to do it. Old Robert knew what he was doing when he created his rules. And they they work really well when you get a bunch of angry people in the room when you follow them. So. Oh no, no! <laughs> I got my ballot in my hand and I'm ready to vote. If I needed to, I would, but I would write it out and I would rehearse it in my hotel room a hundred times before I ever did that. Because you're you're not only talking in front of 11,000 people, you're also you're also making a an argument that's going to be highly combustible if I'm up there, and then there's also people watching online for whatever reason uh, they're watching online. (laughs) Well, it'll be in Anaheim this year, and I'll be there, so so you will have to tune in and see. All right, let me pray, because we're turning into a Baptist business meeting. All right, (laughs) Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. Uh, for a time to get together and, and discuss and, um, and obviously explain where we come from. I, I pray uh, that we would not only be on the same page, but that we would be in prayer and, and um, really fervent prayer for the Southern Baptist Convention and knowing that there are 3,500 so or so uh, missionaries out there. There are 25,000 students. There are 1,800 pastors out there receiving mich- mission dignity. That we'd be in prayer for them that we, would, um, that we would be concerned about them, that we would know uh, where our money is going and pay attention to that, that, that we pray for the Southern Baptist Convention and all of its uh, entities. such turmoil that's kind of going on right now. We pray that you would help us to iron all of that out, uh, whether it be at the convention that we come into uh, soon or, or, or just over the course of time. We pray that that would be uh, resolved. Um, we pray that our fight would always be not against the person sitting next to us, but against uh, principalities and powers. That are, that are present, um, fighting, no doubt, their agenda in the halls of the Southern Baptist Convention. We pray that we would be concerned more about that than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen.